0: Welcome to Aston Means Business, a podcast from Aston Business School. My name's Steve Dyson, and I'm a journalist who's interviewing some of the UK's top business academics and entrepreneurs who've studied here at Aston University. This podcast has been going since October 2019, and there are now more than 40 previous episodes that you can find and listen to by simply Googling Aston Means Business. Today's episode is entitled How Staff Wellbeing Can Drive Business Success. And we're going to explore this subject with Mark Hornby, the co-founder of Caviar and Chips Hospitality Group, which includes a UK-wide bespoke catering business, a boutique destination venue for weddings, and events called Stockton House in Shropshire, the Virgin and Castle's pub in Kenilworth, and the number no. 34 garden and grill restaurant in Warwick. Hello to you, Mark.
1: Hey, Steve. Nice to speak to you again. Are you all right?
0: I'm fine, thanks, Mark. And, and yeah, it really is good to speak to you again. For our listeners who may not have heard you before, um, we spoke to you both um, back in a- April 2020 in episode 13 of our first series, and also in August 2020 in the seventh um, episode of our second series. And I want to start today's podcast, Mark, um, by congratulating you, because I understand you've won a Business Wellbeing Award, Um, What was that called and for which part of your business did you win it and and why have you won it?
1: Yeah, thanks so much. Um, You know, we're really pleased by this. So um, we won a Staff Wellbeing Award and it was from the British Institute of Inkeeping. And they had an awards program for uh, National Innovation in Training Awards. And um, it was really interesting. You know, uh, if I'm honest, I wasn't aware of it. And they reached out to us. Um, because they'd been following us for some time about the different work that we would do across of our businesses. And they suggested that we entered and they they wanted to put us forward, um, which was really nice to hear. Uh, nice to see that people had been paying attention and, and noticed some things that we have been doing. So yes, yeah, so we we put our Caviar and Chips business forward. Uh, and we won, uh, like I say, Staff Wellbeing Award. And the British Institute of Inkeeping were looking for businesses that look after their employees holistically. Um, so, I guess it's where it goes a little bit deeper than paying lip service or doing tokenistic things within the workplace. But kind of like, how do we look after our team and our colleagues, not just at work, but you know, how how do they manage balance of work and home life? How do we do flexible work? um how do we do flexible rotors financial well-being mental well-being um, social well-being the work that we do in the community a whole host of things um so yeah it was really nice firstly not to just be awarded it but great that that such a great body are recognizing the importance of it in the industry and particularly in the hospitality industry fundamentally why Jonathan and I started the business was to be a great place to work. So really nice that industries are starting to look at this and recognising businesses that do it.
0: You mentioned Jonathan a few times, and just for our listeners, we're talking about your business partner, Jonathan Carter-Morris, and he's a co-founder of the business with you, of course. But before we go into more detail about what you've done with your staff, um, I want to remind our listeners um, about that success, because your businesses were faced with the huge obstacle of COVID-19 at such a crucial stage of their birth and development back in 2020. For example, when I first spoke to you just over two years ago in April of that year, just weeks after the UK went into its first lockdown, Caviar and Chips was unable to deliver any service because no wedding receptions were allowed at all. Bring us up to date on where you are with Caviar and Chips now.
1: Oh my gosh. Um, So that feels like... A million years ago but also very recent as well and I still feel and we're still obviously feeling the impact of uh, coronavirus and COVID-19 and the whole industry is and you know it's not just our industry but many others Um, so I guess gosh we're we're now a business that's five years old so in March we, we celebrated being five so that in itself feels like a milestone to get to in get to get to we we're over the moon and a bit overwhelmed and surprised that we managed to get to be coming five. Um, we have over a hundred people on our payroll now, which is incredible. We've created a hundred jo- over a hundred jobs, which is really exciting. Um, skip back to 2020 when gosh, the world went into lockdown and nobody like, just didn't know what do you do? Like what happens when you go into lockdown? We just couldn't, you know you can't fathom that kind of stuff and maybe it's something that's on the business school program now but certainly wasn't when we were doing our MBA at Aston like what happens when you go into a global pandemic don't know uh, there was no textbook written then so um yeah so caviar and chips so we had a catering business back in 2020 so we were delivering weddings and events and we had 120 weddings booked in that year we just opened our first pub the Virgins in Castle in Kenilworth, and we'd opened our doors with a grand opening the week before, Friday the thirteenth, which we joked would be unlucky, but we'd make it lucky. Uh, kind of feels like lockdown was our fault. Um, so the week after we'd done our grand opening of the pub, we yeah we had to close the doors and and work out what to do. So back in 2020, that's what our businesses looked like. We had to then postpone all of those weddings. Uh, so we, you know, I think I've talked to you last time that one of our core values is about being client led. And so we literally just fell onto our values to go, so how do we navigate our way through this? Well, let's have a look at our values. We were all about being client-led, so we'll do what our clients want us to do. And thankfully, in the majority of cases, they just wanted to postpone the date and find a new date. So we helped them do that. And we're still delivering weddings this year that are as a result of having to be postponed from 2020. Um, and we still got weddings next year, actually, when I think about it, that were postponed in 2020. So we're still feeling the impact of, 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 of COVID. Um, with the pub, um, yes, we uh, had to close the doors and then we could open them later on that year and then close them again and open them again. And I think we had to close them a third time if memory serves. Um, and then, you know, there was that aspect of you couldn't have people inside the pub, but you could have food outside. And gosh, the hardest bit was trying to understand the rules so that we could keep people safe And also keep people informed because quite often guests would come to us and say, what is it that we can do? And so we had to try and work out so that we felt informed and they would feel safe with us. Um, And also what we did, we did a lot of work around our community, particularly within the pub in the community of Kenilworth and just reaching out and working with them and supporting people where we could, because we had the facilities, we had kitchens, we had food, but we also knew that there was a lot of elderly residents in the area that were isolated. So we worked with some COVID support groups and we would make food for some of the elderly. Um, And again, that just felt like a good thing to do, the right thing to do, great to be working with other businesses. And I think what we noticed during that time is a lot of businesses came together just to help each other help the nhs where we could because well we just all kind of needed to look after each other really um and so whilst it was a difficult time a really big struggle you know for making money and being business led and the whole commercial world just went to part, it was more a time about coming together and looking after each other which was great to see and feel in a strange way lucky to be part of um nice that we could pull together and, and look after one another. So so that was good. Since since then, uh, we've obviously been allowed to do weddings again. So weddings opened up last year. And I, again, I remember we could do our first weddings with groups of 15, then groups of 30. And then, you know, people weren't allowed to stand and dance. And so you'd go to a wedding and it was like, no, everyone sit down, don't dance. There's music on, but you're not allowed to dance. Um, and so, you know, that was unusual. And then there was people with masks on at weddings and Yes, it was difficult, but we worked our way through. And, you know, at the end of the day, people were getting married and celebrating love. And, you know, that was just lovely to see families coming together because we'd all been in our homes for such a long time. When you saw 30 people together in a room, it was weird and strange. And we were all going through that together. And so it was nice to see a return of hospitality, groups and families coming together that hadn't seen each other for a long time. So it was nice to be part of that.
0: How did you manage to survive on two fronts, really? I'm thinking as a, as a business journalist, in terms of money, investment, finance, how did that survive? For instance, with your, um, the main um, wedding catering business, having all those things cancelled, but also staff-wise, how did you manage to either lay off staff or keep them or keep them pending on some kind of government assistance scheme? How did all that work?
1: Yeah, um, I don't know. Uh, No, but we managed to get our way through it. So I guess fundamentally we said um, we weren't going to lay anyone off. Everyone was going to keep their jobs. You know, it was kind of a pledge that Jonathan and I made on day one. Um, We weren't eligible for any grants or funding. Um, There was grants announced, but we weren't eligible for them, which was unfortunate and a shame. Uh, We did take advantage of the loans, uh, which we're still repaying for. Um, we had a bit of cash flow, um, which we had to manage. We looked at all of our expenditures and cut back on what we didn't have to spend, i.e. we weren't going to use a van for a while. So did we need to pay for a lease for that or could we delay it? Um, any kind of expenditure that was going out on, on a monthly basis that we weren't going to use, we looked to cut that straight away. Um, we took advantage of the government furlough scheme. Um, which paid to around about 80% of people's wages. But then we decided we didn't want people to be short on their pay. So we topped that up ourselves, which came out of our pay. Um, I guess one of the things we also look to do is how do we leverage money now so that it keeps us going. And so one of the things we were able to do is introduce like a, a save-the-date deposit. So you could book your wedding with us today, uh and we came up with a small deposit fee of like five hundred pounds and then your wedding date would be saved in the future. Um so people were still able to book us even though we weren't able to deliver their weddings there and then. And so that still kept money money coming in, uh which which actually did really help us. And also kept us relevant because we were being really proactive with our comms and our marketing and talking to our clients and prospective clients because lots of people were at home and had time on their hands. And so it was a perfect opportunity for us to position ourselves almost like a thought leader within the sector and be proactive with our comms and marketing so that people would come across us and then book us for the future weddings, which we're now delivering kind of like this year, next year and into the year after.
0: Just to give us an example of the weddings um, volume, um, how many did you do last week? How many have you got in the next month or for this summer, for instance?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, so last week we did five weddings last weekend uh, and two during the week, so seven last week. Uh, this weekend we've got four weddings coming up, and you know one's in Dorset, one's in Devon, one's in Shropshire, um, one's in uh, Warwickshire. Um, so th- we're a UK-wide business, um, and so it's been great to scale back up again. Um, so this year we'll probably deliver around about 140 weddings, and um, we've kind of we've capped it at around about five weddings. Uh, in any one day so we've put in place an infrastructure and a team that allows us to scale so again we're a bespoke caterer so all of our menus are unique and everything we do with our clients is unique but behind the scenes we try to put processes and systems in place so that we have a production kitchen in Birmingham for example and we probably have anywhere between 12 and 15 chefs in there creating and crafting menus all through the week And then typically on the Friday or the Saturday morning, food then gets distributed to the country, wherever it is that we might have a wedding. And then it's the team on the day that set up a pop-up, almost like restaurant, uh, set up a kitchen, deliver that to a dining room of anywhere between 60 and 200 guests. Um, And in some cases, we'll do drinks in a bar and, and, and things like that.
0: In short, Mark, you've come out of it healthy. The business is working. You've survived
1: yeah which is remarkable and we just feel super lucky that it kind of feels like those businesses that have so survived a pandemic uh have done really well and you know we feel fortunate super fortunate because of our team um that have stayed with us that have worked with us that have gone that extra mile because crikey people have had to work you know in some cases long hours or do you know like you've heard we travel all over the country and we're really lucky like jonathan and i always wanted to recruit people better than us and I feel like that's been part of our success is that we've been lucky to find great people that share our values, that buy into our vision and our purpose. And that's really helped us because without the team around us, we wouldn't be able to do what we can do now.
0: And we'll come on to your team a bit later because I want to talk specifically about your staff wellbeing policies. But before I do, I just want to, to ask one more question about the catch-up, really. And I'm, I'm yeah. kind of catching up on the complexity of your business as well. Uh-huh. And, and I'm just thinking that you're both gruttons for punishment because not only did you have caviar and chips, the wedding caterer, not only did you open Virgins and Castle Pub in Kenilworth a week before lockdown and somehow managed to keep that going as well, but you've also um, opened recently a new business called the Number 34 Garden and Grill Restaurant in Warwick. And on top of all that, you've also got Stockton House, your boutique wedding venue in Shropshire. How on earth (laughs) did you manage to keep all four balls juggling in the air?
1: Yeah, I guess, you know, from the outside, it probably does, when you say it back to us, think, oh, why did we do that? Um, But, you know, I guess whilst these businesses sound like separate businesses, and they are, they all come under the umbrella of caviar and chips and there are kind of like the synergy between each of the businesses and you know there's a reason why we did them so for example Stockton House is our own boutique wedding venue and operates in a bespoke way, much like caviar and chips catering. So when we were doing our catering business, we were going around to all of these venues around the country. And obviously, we'd spot things that, like, oh, I'd do that and do that. and Maybe I'd do that differently. So then we were like, well, what happens if we got our own venue? So I live on this lovely estate in Shropshire. And so I just approached the landlord, I guess, and said, do you have a barn? We thought we were going to take over a barn at the time uh, because we thought we might convert one. And they didn't have a barn, but he had this empty stately home. And so, and they didn't know what to do with it. So, I guess we came up with a proposition around how we could make it become a wedding venue. And we've worked with what's called the Apley Estate in Shropshire. And together we formed a partnership where we're bringing back this great two star 18th century house. You know, it was dilapidated and had no purpose. And now it's going to be a beautiful wedding venue opening in August. And we've done that in partnership with them. And it's similar with Number 34. So, Number 34 is a restaurant in Warwick. Uh, it was this kind of themed racehorse pub. Um, So it was called The Racehorse. And again, wasn't really working very well, was declining in business and trade. It's owned by Everards, which is a brewery in Leicestershire, same brewery that we have for Virgins and Castle. They saw what we were doing with Virgins and Castle and approached us and said, would you like to take on what was The Racehorse? We said no at first because we were so busy. And then they said, think about it again, you will really enjoy it, it'll be great. And we're like, oh, okay. So we had then had to think about it quite laterally because we didn't feel we could make the current racehorse work. We had to come up with a different concept. So we, you know, I'm plant-based and vegan myself. Uh, the world is opening up into being more sustainable, environmentally friendly. People are more conscious about the food, where provenance of food comes from. So we wanted to create a place that was half plant-based and half celebration of Great British Farming, sustainable fishing from UK shores. We bring the outdoors in, so it's quite a botanical environment. And we think about well-being and what it's like to be in this restaurant. So this was the concept that we came up for number 34, Garden and Grill which then Everard's bought into, and then we turned that around in just a couple of months' time and opened in March. So, do you know, whilst these sound like separate businesses, they are linked with the partners that we currently work with, and our clients and our guests move around each of these businesses. So our our clients at Stockton House have eaten at Virgins and Castle. Our clients in Caviar and Chips have eaten at Number 34. We get wedding bookings from Number 34 in Caviar and Chips, and we almost have this ecosystem where... We're, it, we're in a great place now where people are buying into our brands because of our ethos and values. And, you know, I, I spoke to a client whose wedding we did last weekend and they phoned me up and said the food was amazing. They want the brownie recipe. And then they said, we want to keep on enjoying your food and your hospitality. So we're going to book into the pub next week, which was lovely to hear. And it doesn't matter which brand you're in or what team you're going to be looked after that you're buying into this concept of great food, great hospitality, great hospitality, and an experience that's all about creating moments and memories. Because again, that's the purpose of our business.
0: The theme the which comes through to me when you're talking about those four separate businesses is, is one of people, really. People both in terms of your suppliers, um, your customers, and constantly mentioning your staff and how loyally they've served you. So let's concentrate back on your staff because they are obviously so crucial to the business. And I want yeah. to return to where we started this interview with the news of your well-being award you mentioned it in brief, but give us some more details on how you won this in terms of how it works on a day-to-day basis across your four business arms. How does, sure. how does it work for staff members?
1: So I guess, you know, it starts from even before people join us. Um, if I go back just over five years now, when Jonathan and I first started the business, we were sat in Aston Business School doing our MBA saying, shall we set up a business together? We feel like frustrated entrepreneurs and we didn't know what business to do. It's like, well, how do you find that aha moment where you get the idea of let's do whatever the business is? We just knew we wanted to work together. And so we said, well, we, oh, we were frustrated and a bit, struggling a bit to come up with ideas. So what we said is, why don't we come up with what the structure of the business is first? And then maybe that aha moment will hit us. So Jonathan and I have both come from very different backgrounds Jonathan comes from a background of hospitality. He's been a chef since he was like 19 years old. So, 20 odd years as a chef, ran restaurants, hotels, um, bars, and been front of house, back of house, and seen that hospitality industry. I come from a background of sales and marketing, blue chip brands. Um, I've worked in some quite big in, um, companies around the country. And, you know, we've both suffered in our own ways around that. What's it like to go to work and be able to be yourself um, do you know i i personally haven't suffered with mental health problems myself but my family and my wife has um, my wife suffers with depression and anxiety and so i see that on a day-to-day basis and and when i used to go to work i'd leave her at home and sometimes she'd be in a dark place and i'd go to work and feeling i couldn't share that with anybody it didn't feel safe d- it didn't feel like you had there was that kind of open language and so When Jonathan and I got together, we said, "If we're going to create a business, let's create one where people can come to work, be themselves, and have the opportunity to thrive." And think about it as you know a safe space. Like people exist outside of work. You know, they have home lives. They have crikey, we've seen it so much in the last couple of years. Everybody kind of carries problems or difficulties or challenges, whatever they may be. And everyone's is different and disproportionate. And you know, some people's are really big. Some people's are really small. But fundamentally every person is different, and we wanted to create a place where everyone could be the best version of themselves. So that's how we started our business. It just so happened to be that we then went into food, drink, hospitality, catering. And so the very first nugget was, let's create this great place to work for. And then it's all, well, what does that mean? So we worked with a consultancy called Next Steps, and there's um, a great person that uh, who's Jonathan's wife, just so happened, was Gemma. Uh, And Gemma became our head of people and helped us create a people strategy that at, at its core had well-being. And when we talk about well-being, we don't just talk about how are you today and how are you feeling? We talk about mental health, physical health, financial health, social well-being. And so we come up with pillars of well-being, if you like, that are the fabric of everything that we do in our business. And we talk about this openly across our social and digital media um, we talk, we team up with places like mind, uh, this week was mental health awareness week. So we talk about some of the things that we do in our business that help create this open, safe environment. Um, I guess when people join us and they first, like, actually, if I think about it, come for interviews, we talk about this open environment where it's a safe place to be. We have a focus on wellbeing and, you know, that's important for people to understand when they come to interview that this is the kind of culture that we wanted to create and so whenever we do interviews, we start off by our values. And our values are that we're client led, that we're collaborative, creative, and positive. And if our the people that we're interviewing kind of buy into those values and demonstrate those values, then there's a very good chance they'll thrive in the culture that we have. Then when they join us, we straight away buddy them buddy them up with somebody so somebody already within the business and it might be a different part of the business or a different role but fundamentally that they've got somebody that they can go and talk to that isn't their line manager and they can say what do you do when whatever Um, just so they've got a bit of advice and guidance we have induction plans and objectives that are clear Um, we work with them around making sure that everyone's got a one-to-one in place Um, with their line manager. We also have like training and development in place for line managers. We have coaches in place. We do something called MBTI, which is Myers-Briggs training. So for our colleagues, they go through this Myers-Briggs questionnaire, which helps them understand what are their strengths, where do they get their energy from, what do they gravitate to, and so to share with you. So for example, when I do Myers-Briggs, I come out as a campaigner. And so I'm somebody that's just like, tell me what makes you happy, what makes you energized, and let's go make it happen. And I'm probably a bit of a dreamer, and I'm like, go for the moon and you'll get to the stars and you'll get to the moon kind of guy. Whereas Jonathan, for example, when he does Myers-Briggs, he's kind of like charismatic. He loves celebration, rewarding team. And so together we kind of make that combination. Where our weaknesses are though, or the things that we need to develop is kind of like administration. Um, kind of like we tend to screw things up and start again, whereas like we need good people in place to help us do processes, systems, et cetera. And so when people join us, we go through this Myers-Briggs training. And again, it gives us a common language to be able to talk about this is where i get my energy and when you see me in times of stress this is why i'm feeling stressed and how that manif- that stress manifests itself so if you see me withdrawing it's probably because i'm stressed and then when we all go through that training and development together and share that like common language it helps us make it more specific rather than saying you know you kind of got permission to be able to say I don't like that or I don't enjoy it. That's fine. It's not that you say, well, therefore, Mark, you'll never have to do admin again, because that's not realistic. It's more a case, it'll probably take me longer. I'll probably be in a bit of a rubbish mood. And so when it comes out of it, please either give me a hug or like, you know, let's go and do something fun or let's go for a walk or whatever it is. But just understanding and measuring it is really important. Whenever we start a meeting, we check in with each other and say, so how are you arriving today? And we do this in a little bit of a daft way. So sometimes it might be like, what, what colour are you? Or if you're an animal, what, what animal would you be? Or if you're a celebrity, what celebrity would you be? Um, and so again, it's a way for people to talk about their feelings without having to be too specific, if that makes sense. And then we do exactly the same at the end of a meeting or at the end of an event. So at the end of a wedding, for example, we'll go, so how was that for everybody? Everybody gets into a circle whether you're a chef, a kitchen assistant, or a lead host. And we go around the group and say, So let's score today out of 10, because 10 then gives it a measure. Um, and again, it makes it something that you can talk around. So someone might say, Today it was a six for me. And then we'll go, So why wasn't it a 10? Well, it wasn't a 10 because I don't know, I dropped something or I went to the wrong table or I spilled gravy over the bride. Oh, heaven forbid. Um, and so, you know, then that gives us a way that everybody gets a voice. Like Everybody should be able to review and feedback, and then what we do is we collate all of that feedback from every event, and we bring that together to the next week's operations meeting and say, so here's some scores that we got from this one. Hopefully, they're all 10s. If they weren't a 10, it was a uh, 6, and it was because whatever. We forgot something, didn't do something, etc. But fundamentally, everyone buys into this. Everyone feels like they've got a voice and has got a voice. And what it does is it continuously improves our business. Um, and also, like I say, and again, going back to what we wanted was, it creates a safe space where everyone is able to talk about their feelings, no matter what their feelings are, like feelings are valid. If you feel away, you feel away, whether it's right or wrong. Um, and so hopefully together, and having that common language, we can create a culture where everyone feels safe, can thrive, and do the things that energise them.
0: It's fascinating detail, Mark. And I guess the, the, the focus point that I just wanted to quickly ask you about, because it's the title of the podcast, how staff wellbeing can drive business success. I know it's an obvious question because your businesses are successful, but do you feel that they are driven in part by the success of that staff wellbeing philosophy and practice?
1: Yeah, I I really do and you know we talk about this quite a lot within our sector as well because it's something that we believe in Jonathan and I personally and everyone that works within our business really believes in and I would love to see more of it across businesses and and it's great to see it being a language great that we're doing this podcast because I do, I think it doesn't matter what business you're in it can be any sector it can make such a difference and just because it's a you know it's nice to be nice um we need more kindness in this world um that's not a bad thing and you know, I'm sure it can be measurable. I'm sure it, uh, and we, we do do staff surveys, we do reviews, we look at, you know, sickness days and absenteeism, and we look at retention rates, and all of these measures are increased because of the work that we do around well-being. The thing is, though, it's long-term, and you have to be authentic about it. You can't just do it in a tokenistic way and do a one-to-one and then forget to do it for the next four months. It's something that kind of has to be, and like I said to you earlier, it's part of our people strategy. You know, it's a core part of our business. We spend just as much time on our well-being as we do on our food and drink. You know, that check-in at the beginning of the day, that check-out at the end of the meeting, being consistent with it and doing something with the feedback is really important. Otherwise, people just think you're doing it for the sake of doing it. But I would say, if we didn't do that kind of stuff, you wouldn't recognize the business that we are today. Um, And again, it, it goes to our guests and our clients as well. We get constant feedback saying, your team looked happy, your team were nice to be with, it was a pleasure doing business with you. Even when our clients, we invoice them, we want it to be pleasurable. When we invoice our supplier, we want it to be pleasurable, like we should be a nice business to do business with. And I think it would be lovely if all businesses were nice to do business with because they invest in things like well-being and and, and looking after each other. Um, And that it's not just a tokenistic kind of thing, but it's something that Every, it's just the part of, and the fabric of every business will be wonderful.
0: Mark Hornby, the co-founder of Caviar and Chips Hospitality Group, which includes a UK-wide bespoke catering business, a boutique destination venue for weddings and events called Stockton House in Shropshire, the Virgin and Castles Pub in Canterworth and the Number no. 34 Garden and Grill Restaurant in Warwick. Many thanks for joining us to Means Business today.
1: Oh, pleasure speaking to you, Steve. Thanks for having me again.
0: And thank you, our listeners, to listening in to Aston Means Business, an original podcast series for Aston University. Remember, if you've enjoyed today's episode, you can find earlier episodes by simply Googling Aston Means Business. And if you're interested in studying anything to do with business, finance and economics, why not check out what Aston University has to offer at www.aston.ac.uk forward slash courses. We've also got a podcast series called Society Matters, which interviews top academics at Aston's School of Social Sciences and Humanities about current issues and concepts which shape our world and the way that people live. You can find those episodes simply by googling Society Matters Aston. Meanwhile, we'll be back soon with more interviews with some of the UK's top business academics and entrepreneurs who've been involved in some way here at Aston. Aston means business. Thanks for listening.